0: Good evening, everyone in radio and podcast land. Welcome to the new show and podcast, Moment of Truth with Amy Chen Mills. That's me, which airs the first and third Mondays of every month, right here on your Central Coast community radio station, Corporate Free KSQD. Moment of Truth is a show that brings clear thinking to confusing issues to promote democracy, integrity, compassion, and life on earth. Today, we are very excited to introduce our launch show, Understanding Trans. In 2023 alone, over 400 pieces of legislation have been drafted or passed in the United States to restrict the human rights of LGBTQIA people with a special focus on trans adults, children and their families. What is most scary to me about this national effort, which has now reached my state of California and even my local community, is the deeply dehumanizing propaganda and misinformation around transhumans, their families and allies, and indeed the entire LGBTQ plus population. Huge segments of our society have been accused of grooming children to be trans or to be gay or queer and of having dark, malicious intents. And these dangerous ideas have led to specific bans on drag shows, on LGBTQ plus themed books in schools, and even on parental and medical support for trans kids in transition. Many LGBTQ plus people have fled or are considering fleeing their states. Even adults in states like Florida are restricted in their access to needed hormone therapies. The good news is that because the LGBTQ plus population has been with us since the dawn of humanity and is us, people are reacting negatively to these efforts by evangelical Christians, Republicans and groups like Moms for Liberty. LGBTQ people are us they are our neighbors friends classmates and colleagues and so our love for ourselves and for those we know may end up create i'm sorry for those we know may end up creating more education and openness to people who have been throughout history the victims of violence and even murder and of course terribly misunderstood and oppressed over time, this show is meant to help dispel some of the many myths and misunderstandings about trans people and to foster our increased compassion and love. So today, having said all that, which was a mouthful today in our studio, I am so very pleased to welcome many special guests, very um, wonderful uh, um, and um credentialed people in their fields and people with personal experience with this issue. Uh, we have Jen Hastings, who goes by the very specific pronoun Jen. Welcome, Jen. Thanks. Uh, Jen is genderqueer non-binary. She is an MD, a family physician, abortion provider, and assistant clinic- clinical professor at the UCSF Department of Family and Community Medicine. Dr. Hastings was the physician at Westside Planned Parenthood in Santa Cruz, California from 1998 to 2018, providing full primary care, including transgender care. Dr. Hastings continues to teach and consult on transgender health care nationally and is engaged in research and activism on trans and gender-expansive reproductive justice issues, including contraception, fertility, and abortion. Jen has published several articles on gender-affirming care, including one on non-binary medical care for youth, and a chapter on creating a gender and inf- gender affirming environment in reproductive healthcare settings. Next, we have Joy Schendeldecker, who goes by the pronouns she and they. Welcome, Joy. Thank you, Amy. Uh, they are an artist, a mom of two queer teens, one of whom identifies as transgender. Joy has been writing publicly about local anti-trans groups and people popping up in her liberal city, which is also mine, of Santa Cruz, California. And this is where we are located, most notably, recently calling out the group Brave and Free, which has direct links to anti-trans websites and commentators. Joy is a community organizer and a current co-chair of Democratic Socialists of America, Santa Cruz, and co-founder of Santa Cruz Cares, providing support to the unhoused. As an eco-socialist feminist, Joy believes that we need to put justice at the center of everything we do and people above profits. Uh, Next, we have Adam Spickler. Adam goes Hi hi, Adam, welcome. Adam goes by the pronouns he, they, and Adam was elected a Cabrillo College trustee here in Santa Cruz County in twenty eighteen and re-elected by a wide margin in 2022. Adam serves as the 2023 College Governing Board Chair and is also the first openly transgender man elected to public office in the state of California. Professionally, Adam is the public information and governmental relations officer for the County's Human Services Department. Here in Santa Cruz, where they have worked since 2013. Prior to this, Adam was a senior district staff for two state lawmakers. Adam is also an elected member of Santa Cruz's uh, Santa Cruz County's Democratic Party and is on the governing board of Housing Santa Cruz County. Adam and their husband Scott live near the harbor in Santa Cruz with their dogs Penny and Juno. And finally, we have uh, coming to us via Clean Feed, maybe a girl. Maybe goes by G. Pudlow or also maybe Pudlow and uses the pronouns she, they. Welcome, maybe.
1: Hello. Thanks, Amy.
0: Yeah, and maybe is actually running as I speak for Adam Schiff's congressional seat in California, District 30. Maybe a girl is also known as the first council person in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. Uh, wait a second, I missed something. The first ever drag queen ever elected to public office in the United States. Is that right, maybe?
1: That's correct. Yeah, I'm the first drag queen elected public office in the United States. I'm also a trans person. And if elected to Congress, I'd be the first federally elected trans person uh, in U.S. history. And I'm happy to announce there are people running as well. So we're going to get in.
0: Okay, you know we, you're breaking up a little. We might uh, circle back and have you call in. I'm going to finish your introductions, and we'll try you again, maybe. And if we can't quite get you clear, we will have you call into the show. Um, uh, so in 2019, maybe announced a Democratic Party bid for the California for California's then 28th congressional district, challenging incumbent. Adam Schiff. She positioned herself as the progressive alternative to Schiff, and now she is running again in a crowded primary field. If successful, as maybe said, she will be the first transgender person ever elected to the U.S. Congress. Another person in the running is Sarah McBride in Delaware at this time. maybe has likened her policies to those of Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Her policies are strongly, of course, pro-LGBTQIA, and sitting on the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council's homelessness committee maybe has highlighted homelessness in her campaign and tied it to the high number of homeless LGBTQ youth. She supports Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, and the abortion rights movement. So welcome maybe. Thank you. And maybe has a website. Maybe a Girl for Congress will give out websites uh, near the end of the show. Um, okay, so we're just going to go ahead and jump into it because that was a lot of introduction. <laughs> and I want to just thank you all for taking the time to be here. Um, I am finding this show to be challenging for me because, it, to me, it's a very sensitive topic. And it's something that I want to handle well. And so I also see that these, this legislation is in the kinds of propaganda campaigns we're seeing are kind of frightening to me, so I just want to make sure we handle this so well. And if I, if I make any mistakes, if I say anything wrong, if I mispronoun a person, please correct me. Um, and I wanted to just start with, because I think a lot of people don't understand trans, and that's why the show is called Understanding Trans, or Non-Binary People. And in fact, I was just talking to a friend of mine, a very good-hearted soul, who's for rights for everyone and very liberal, who was asking questions that I thought, oh, that's interesting, a lot of people, like, why are there so many uh, trans people now? You know, that kind of thing. And so even people who we would consider to be pretty left-leaning just don't understand this topic. So I wanted to start with Adam and ask Adam, uh, what is it? what does what being trans mean
2: to you or non-binary? Um, that's a really great but very big question, yeah, it is. Amy, and I appreciate you asking it, and I want to answer it kind of thinking through um, the friend that you just mentioned, where I, I, too, have come to know so many people who, on issues they're familiar with, being progressive is a no-brainer, and I think that anytime you introduce a new subject, it doesn't matter where you sit environmentally, around uh, land use and development, transportation issues, other social issues. Um, When you introduce a new subject, a new social subject, it tends to take everybody aback, no matter how progressive you might be. So I want to say to your friend if they are listening, I get it, things were new to me once too in regards to LGBTQIA uh, supports and identities. Um, So let me walk you through mine a little bit, and then I welcome other people in the room to jump in if I miss anything. But um, I've been part of the LGBTQ community um, ever since I can remember. I understood that about myself as a kid, but I had no language for it. One of my very first memories in um, a play group, I can't remember if it was everyday preschool or just a drop-in, but I had a group of boys that were my best friends in the whole world that week. And I say that week because you know they change all the time. But I remember a teacher calling me by name at one point, which was a female name because I was born female. And the boys I was playing with all of a sudden stopped. And one of them looked at me and said, Wait a minute, you're a girl? They wouldn't have known that about me because I was the classic tomboy looking kid when I was young. And uh, my teacher didn't know it because my teacher wouldn't have had language. I certainly didn't. No one did. But my teacher outed me. And I, in that moment, as I got rejected by the boys who said, you're a girl. Get out of here. We don't want to play with you. I not only felt the rejection of that friendship and how crushing that. This is literally one of my first memories. I also get that what I felt at the moment, but I had no language for, was wanting to reject gender. I got boxed into something that did not fit me. And I have had so many experiences since then that were just crushing, whether it was about my gender identity or about my sexuality, until I started to find language, community, narratives that reflected who I was. I've had a number of identities on the LGBTQ spectrum since then. How I identify now, my trans identity is, I use the word queer. Because it is, for me, an umbrella term that I've reclaimed. I know a lot of people have. Um, to to say that both my gender and my sexuality is not so much that it's fluid, although there's fluidity to it, but it's just it's expansive. I happen to be married to another trans man who um, identifies fairly similarly. To, to me, and um, we've both been, I'd say about 11, 12 years into our transition, um, so we walk through the world probably being identified as gay men, and that's just fine by us, um, and we feel really lucky to be in a community where, for the most part, when we look out at other states in this nation and other parts of our own state of California where it's a lot more dangerous to be out in the world, as much as there are triggers and issues here locally which there are we get to walk through this world feeling loved and supported feeling seen for the contributions we bring to our community not just the identity we walk with but we do walk with that identity proudly you will see many flags at our house <laughs> and i have talked way too long so I'm stop
0: now. no that was actually great and i want to try maybe again and see if maybe if we can hear you I was wondering if you wanted to take a, a stab at that very large question.
1: Yeah. So the uh, can you repeat the question? What is trans? Is it what does trans uh, mean to you? Yeah. To be trans?
0: Yeah. And I had read actually that it was doing drag that helped you understand that you were transgender. Is that Absolutely. correct? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: That is correct. So I had I had friends who were uh, drag queens. I had friends who were trans people, uh, and I had always had this. Interest in in sort of dabbling in that, and pretty much as soon as I started doing drag in 2015, I started to realize that for me it wasn't a costume, but an expression of my gender identity, and uh, being. So uh, a part of the the drag community here in Los Angeles, I've gotten to to know that that's a, a common story for a lot of trans people. They sort of dabble in drag as a safe space, a safe way to express and sort of experiment with their gender identity and, and get to know, um, you know, is this for me? Is this who I am? Um, in a way that isn't necessarily uh, permanent. And so... Uh, I have a a huge number of friends who are trans, who I met when they were just starting drag and again, came to realize that they were trans through experimenting with drag. And I think that, you know, there's a big misconception that that drag queens, first of all, that there's only drag queens. You know, there's drag queens, there's drag kings, there's drag things, everything in between. And uh, I think people commonly uh, misunderstand that that drag is just uh, gay men, you know, dressing up like women. And that's certainly the case for some performers. But there are so many trans performers as well. And I think people often ask, well, how can you be a how can you be a, a drag queen and a trans person? And you know. Uh, a, as uh, Monica Beverly Hills, who is a a famous uh, trans woman and drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race stated, trans is who I am, drag is what I do. So drag is a little bit more occupational, whereas trans is a part of your identity. That's not something that you put on or take off, you know, every morning when you wake up or after the gig. So for me, um, especially as a a trans non-binary person, I think it can be very confusing to people because also there's this idea that if you are trans, then you must be... Uh, exactly the opposite of what you were assigned at birth. So if you were assigned male at birth, such as myself, that you must be a trans woman in order to be trans. Uh, But non-binary identities fall somewhere in between. And in my point of view, and in many others' points of view, that is trans, you know, to identify with a gender identity that you were not assigned at birth, uh, is trans, so we have trans binary people and we have trans non-binary people, and that's why folks, you know, some folks like myself will use pronouns such as she/her, but also use they/them. Uh, the only, only pronouns I don't like are are he/him. Uh, and so I think again, something to keep in mind when trying to understand trans people is that trans people, as with every other group of people, are not a monolith. There are there's so many variations. Uh, and in different identities within the trans spectrum.
0: That's something actually I just learned from you is that there are trans binary. So that means I definitely feel like a man or a woman. And there's trans non binary, which is I'm sometimes I feel this way and sometimes I feel that way or I feel in between. It sounds like
1: exactly. OK, exactly.
0: great. Thank you. Um And so I want to move on to some of the questions that people do have. And I I almost want to apologize. I hope these aren't offensive to anybody. I just feel like these are the questions out there that I think people need to be educated on. Because when we're seeing anti-trans sort of movements and people, individuals in our very liberal community, education is necessary, right? So my friend who said, well, why does it seem like all of a sudden – there are more trans people and more non... It's like people who are just not used to that world are feeling like maybe it is because we're talking about it so much that kids, you know, have decided to be this or to be that. And Jen, you sent me a really interesting article from Scientific American on um, rapid onset onset gender dysphoria. That mean, might be a lot for listeners, but try if you could explain... Well, I'm not going to explain that
3: because it's actually not a thing. Right. Um, that's an right. article was written about it by um, someone through Yale University, and basically she really misconstrued data and only interviewed parents of youth and so came up with this concept when what we actually know based on research is that many people wait any you know from a year to six years or more before they tell their parents because being trans in our society is in many cases dangerous and many times parents don't understand kids are extremely sensitive to their sort of the bandwidth that their parents have for understanding difference And so many kids wait a very long time. And so it's actually rapid onset parental discovery, not the rapid onset of of gender. Adam is snapping his (laughs) fingers. And also, I waited
2: 37 years.
3: Yeah, and there's great data. Actually, there's also a really wonderful Washington Post um, sort of of summary article that comes up with some several, I think six or seven or 10 points. And one of the points is that, you know, our younger generation will wait less time than our elders and that, you know, 37 years for Adam is not unusual for your generation. Um, But it's still often a very long time for our youth. The other piece, which just was on the edge of my, it's like when you asked why so many people now. Part of it is that we're getting language for this. So when Adam was a young person, there was no one in Adam's life or actually in our culture, pretty much, who was um, able to speak about being trans. And now we have more people speaking about it and sharing who they are. And so of course, there's going to be, you know, an increase because the the information is out there. And you referenced in your introduction that since the beginning of time, Mm -hmm. there have been trans people. And that is powerfully true. We also, we have our European Western culture, which really created actually uh, this false sort of these two boxes, male and female, and never the twain shall meet, right, with different roles that's not built in stone. Most societies, um, other than our Western European society, had genders that were quote unquote non-binary.
0: Yeah, and, and we're finding out like the, that animals actually have a lot yes. of non-binary behaviors and switch genders and right. do all kinds of things that, that we just are finding out. And also fungi can be multiply like thousand fold <laughs> binary i was just reading um i do want to take a little break and say yes. that you are listening to ksqd corporate free community radio on california's central coast uh at 90.7 fm and we're talking about the uh topic of understanding trans and non-binary people which seems like a really important thing to do at this time rather than sort of just make judgments try to understand try to listen and so we've got people that you can listen to we're going to actually the Washington Post survey the Scientific American article that was sort of debunking the studies about kids suddenly turning quote unquote trans they actually you know hold, they actually are for a long time and they just don't come out with it because it's so hard in their families mm-hmm. there's something like 40% of trans uh kids and people will end up in homelessness uh, and, and sort of getting pushed out of their family homes because of all the judgment and misunderstanding around that issue. And then another thing about the Washington Post survey that I was reading just today is when kids don't get supported at home they are far more likely to engage in self-harm, possible suicide, and be in depression and so forth. Um, I want to go to Joy, who hasn't spoken yet, and as a mother of, and also as a queer-identified person herself, um, how has it been for you, if, if you're okay speaking about that, with your kids? Is that okay for you to talk about? Actually, you can pass on that, too
4: no i can I can talk about it. How has it been for me as a parent of
0: queer kids yeah I mean and and maybe as opposed to other parents you might know uh, who are having a hard time with it, did you have a hard time? I no, mean I it, don't have a hard time with it yeah i I
4: um you know it's interesting i I don't want to go too deep into like my what could go on for ages and ages like a therapeutic session of my (laughs) but I think I you know I'm 48 and I'm still reckoning with my internalized homophobia and transphobia and my own feeling of imposter syndrome that I'm not queer enough to be part of the queer community because I'm married and I have two kids and you're married to a cis man a cis man Yeah. yeah so we are uh, you know i've been in a long term relationship that is quite gender you know Dormative. full of gender norms um and and that's been hard in some of its own ways but it's also i i i really appreciate conversations like this and and i have really appreciated my kids for helping me to feel more comfortable with myself and um you know politically i have always felt like I want to abolish gender. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never really felt like I fit in anywhere. I'm mm-hmm. never I'm never one hundred percent at home wherever I am. Um, and gender certainly is part of that. And you know, so I I would like to abolish gender. Okay, as so a now I'm just going to stop okay, you there sorry, because in this me.
0: conversation, <laughs> I can under I can I can feel listeners who are cis, oh, yes. straight. Yes. You know, uh, listeners who are I'm a man. I'm a woman. We have all these, you know, turfs uh, out out there which too, is, even t- in our community, which may be defined turf
4: since it's a an acronym for basically like a trans exclusive radical feminist. So this would be I love second wave feminism like really really. But but many incarnations of it are transphobic and people that I know and love who are feminists are like not down with they them pronouns mm-hmm. and not down with not knowing what's in people's pants, mm-hmm. you know. So so I, I you know, I do experience that turfism challenge yeah Yeah. Um,
0: so in terms of my my kids I but wait so let's go I just want to address this because it's this is I think the hardest part is that people are so used to in our culture Having this binary, and it is being challenged, and I think it's probably uh, feels uncomfortable for cis people or people who even think they're cis because maybe they're not, you know, and they haven't even thought about it, right? But it's very much a part. I'm a man. I'm a woman, and that's what you know. Turfism is and. what can we say? Like, how can we, you know, help people understand that maybe it's okay to
2: let go? Um, and Oh, it's always okay to let go. And the <laughs> thing that's funny is...
0: Okay, so just
2: let go, folks. <laughs> most of the folks that I wind up in conversation with where change in concept and then in practice is hard. There are also folks who've been through a version of change is really hard from the other side that they were part of something that was important to them, that until you start to have conversations with people where you can kind of, on a human level, make that connection, it's really difficult to have this conversation. I try to take examples of my lived experience to try to make them relatable to folks. Um, When I look back at the ways in which the LGBTQ movement through the 80s, through the rise of the AIDS epidemic, and then into the 90s and where it shifted to how do we fight for civil rights, equal rights, social justice as the LGBTQ community and starting to take bits and pieces, which wasn't going to include everybody all at once. And the, the fights within our community about how to do that, and one of the things, one of the thinkings that prevailed was Having these one on one conversations where allies to the movement are part of the conversation, door to door, grassroots campaign, where what we're talking about is marriage. Yep. Lots of people in the LGBTQ community don't necessarily want to fight for or relate to marriage, but you know what? It's a topic that folks outside of our community get and understand and having those conversations around when people are in loving, committed relationships. We would all want a partner whose loved one, married or otherwise, got in a car accident. You deserve rights to get into that hospital room and be with that person. And breaking it down to something really relatable. Mm -hmm. I think I'm answering your initial question. I might have gotten out far in front of it. (laughs) But the thing is, until we find commonalities around how gender and fighting to be seen for who I really am, that's the common denominator. We all share that. Every cis man, cis woman has been in multiple situations in their life where maybe they were expected to be or do far more than they were comfortable with because of gender stereotypes. Or they weren't seen for who they were or weren't given room. We can all relate to that it's finding the common language where what we're talking about is the ways gender is oppressive. Yeah, Blow up gender. Totally get it. (laughs) Mine is more let's abolish gender militarism, but that's a longer conversation for another time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's where the conversation starts because my representation of gender comes from a place of wanting to be authentic, and that's relatable.
0: Yeah, being who you are, being comfortable in your skin. Uh, We're going to have to go to a very brief break at the half hour mark and we will be right back with understanding trans on moment of truth with amy chen mills
1: mother mother ocean i have heard you call wanted to sail upon your waters since i was three feet tall
3: you've seen it all you
0: it all. That was actually Jimmy Buffett, uh, your yacht rock uh, party boy, but also some one of my favorite musicians. Actually, my father uh, was a hippie who introduced me to Jimmy Buffett at a young age, and Jimmy Buffett passed away on Friday. Um, so we thought we'd just share a little Jimmy Buffett with you and then get back into the serious topic of understanding trans. Uh, we have a bunch of special guests, uh, both in the studio and also online with us. Adam Spickler, who is one of the first uh, trans elected official man, trans man, elected official, Cabrillo College Board of Trustees in Santa Cruz, California. We have Jen Hastings, who's a doctor who's worked on trans issues for years and written many, many articles and chapters and books on trans issues, Healthcare provider and national commentator, uh, communicator on trans issues. We have Joy Decker, who's been uh, confronting some of our local anti-trans issues. Um, people and groups that have been popping up uh, that have been a little bit alarming. Um, And then we also have maybe a girl online with us. um, And maybe, I don't know if you have something burning to add to the conversation, maybe a girl is running for Congress in District 30 in L.A. where there's actually been Mm -hmm. some confrontations with sort of Moms for Liberty type groups, I understand. And uh, maybe, do you want to what would you most like to say about the gender binary and, or what, what would you love for people to understand who don't understand?
1: Yeah, I think uh, we've touched on a a lot of these ideas already that um, somebody had just mentioned, we, we just want to be seen um, as our authentic selves and be accepted for who we are. And I think that's something that is just within, um, you know, the human condition is just wanting to be seen, heard, and be recognized for who we are. Um, There's this big argument right now that, that's trans youth, uh, first of all, people are saying that trans youth don't exist, that, that a, a, somebody who is young can't possibly know that they are trans when that's it's totally false. I think we all develop this sense of identity of who we are very, very early on. I think even when it comes to cisgender, children and adults, you have this idea, this sense of gender identity very early on. Uh, hindsight is always twenty twenty. And one of my earliest memories, uh, I was about four years old, and I remember asking my mom, "I said, Mom, when am I going to turn into a girl?" <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me like I was nuts, and and you know, and and sort of shut me down in a way that you know I wouldn't consider it transphobic because I think she just thought I was just a kid going off on. Some you know strange tangents, but when she told me that was never going to happen, I sort of tucked that idea away for a very long time. And you know, having come out as a, a trans person as an adult, I look back on my my early childhood experiences and you know it, my gender identity at the time, and it and it all kind of makes sense. Um, and we're having this, you know, nationwide debate right now about whether or not trans youth should be able to have gender-affirming healthcare. And it's it's really a travesty, and it's it's seeping into the school systems as well. Um, you know, I think that you know, being in California, I think a lot of folks think, oh, California is super liberal. Um, we're, you know, you wouldn't see that kind of thing there, but we're starting to see. Uh, legislation being introduced that would limit, um, you know, trans healthcare. There's going to be, there's folks who are trying to put ballot initiatives together to limit gender-affirming healthcare, um, also to out transgender students who come out to teachers or counselors to their parents. And this is very dangerous for trans youth. You know, You had mentioned earlier that uh, about 40% of unhoused youth are LGBTQIA, and there's a reason for that. And the big reason is not having support at home. And those kids either run away or are kicked out of their homes. So if a child feels more comfortable coming out to a, a school counselor, a teacher, peers, and not their parents, you have to ask why that reason might be. And it's very likely abuse, homophobia and transphobia at home. And that's why it's extremely dangerous to out children to their parents when they're not ready to come out to their parents. Yeah. Uh, Again, I think, you know, I I live in Los Angeles and people consider L.A. to be somewhat of a progressive mecca. And unfortunately, we're seeing, you know, in L.A. County, we're starting to see uh, school districts uh, actually um, try to try to make, you know, These rules and laws saying that, okay, if a a child comes out, the parents have to be notified within three days. Uh, We're also seeing a number of protests um, from groups such as, as you mentioned earlier, Moms for Liberty uh, and groups affiliated with the Proud Boys yeah. uh, actually show up at school districts in and around the LA area, uh, specifically LAUSD schools and the Glendale Unified School Districts. I've particularly been very involved in the Glendale School Districts uh, in terms of, of what's happening there. I was reached out to by some concerned citizens who are queer uh, or have queer kids and they were very terrified by this this presence of folks again aligned with Moms for Liberty, um, the Proud Boys, gays against groomers. And those names, by the way, are such misnomers. Yeah, uh, of course, of course, queer people are against grooming. So the idea that trans people are just groomers, in and of themselves, is false. Well, and, and it's, it's and offensive.
0: It's a, it's a it's leaning fascist, you know. I mean, it it possibly fascist. I mean, that's the kind of rhetoric you get when you're trying to actually dehumanize a population so that they can then be attacked in all these different legislative ways and possibly in physical ways. We're seeing that start to escalate as well. And I just really want to, and I'm sure
3: maybe this is in your line of uh, experience sure. as well, that it's ironic that we finally have really good data coming from Holland where where gender care for youth uh, started before the U.S. We have good data from Holland. We also have good data now from the U.S. about how much better youth do when they're supported by their parents and when they have access to uh, if it's appropriate for them um, associated with um, care and yeah. gender affirming care. And, that's- and we have good data now and so it's just infuriating that the in our throughout our country legislation is being created based on terrible misinformation that's being Absolutely. submitted in the in the in the
0: senates and yeah let's talk, and let's the talk US. about that misinformation i Jim. do want to just tell our, our listeners really quickly you're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM on the California Central Coast if you have a question you can text it to 831-900-5773 831 or email on air at ksqd.org and if it's an appropriate question we will read your question i do want to get into some of the mythologies around hormone replacement therapy and surgeries cuz actually in that washington post survey i was reading actually a lot of people it's not a lot of people who get it's not a majority but some young people do get hormone replacement therapy and people are like oh it can't be reversed and you know there's a lot of um It's horrifying to think that you would change your
2: gender and then change your mind and so forth. So uh, Adam, did you wanna speak to that? Well, I just, and it's a frame, I, I think really for what you're starting to bring up. And I'm so glad Jen brought up data. And I would actually say, not even so much calling it misinformation, but disinformation. Yeah, and it is. For your listeners who might not be familiar with the difference, misinformation is genuinely not knowing that the information that you have is incorrect. And for many people around trans issues and some of this data, that's true. But there, there is a responsibility you take on as a lawmaker in the state of California to be informed. And there is no excuse, and I believe it's intentional disinformation, that lawmakers can try to use the legislative power that they have. And when that fails, bring something to the voters based on disinformation, knowing that it's causing harm to a segment of our population. Yeah,
0: and so let's talk about some of that. Let's 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 go to the reality of hormone replacement therapy. We're we're talking to uh, Jen Hastings, who's a medical doctor who's been working with trans people uh, for many many years, maybe decades now, and has written several articles uh, in books and in journals. Um, what is hormone replacement therapy, or what is uh, or gender affirming care. Gender affirming care and and let's
3: say puberty puberty blockers. Yeah, so that's you know a several hour lecture yeah. but <laughs> we'll try you have 5 minutes. Condense it. Condense it. We'll try to do it in less than 5 minutes. So, um and and so the key that I want to also say is that this is extremely individualized healthcare. There is not a cookie cutter approach by any stretch, especially with youth. Uh, and even though there are permanent effects from using a, a sex hormone such as testosterone or estrogen. If one does have a recognition that this is not correct for you, you can stop that that hormone and over time your body basically will restart producing the hormone that is associated with your gonads, whether that's testicles or ovaries, and it's really quite impressive how the permanent, the, so supposedly sub- permanent effects begin to fade. So, personally, I absolutely review with with families and with youth or whoever the person is what uh, effects are considered permanent. So, if you're taking testosterone, that would be a lowered voice, more facial hair, developing an Adam's apple. And know that that's what is the ef- effect. And most people, if they're on this journey, that's good news for them. And same with the effects of estrogen, where you'll get breast development and less facial hair, etc. The point that I want to make is, it's it. I mean, surgeries are more permanent, but we really, um, while we want to center this care in the person we're working with, we it's. To me, it's really important that that person take it on as their journey and not look to a medical provider or a therapist like, am I, you you said, am I trans enough to be in the community? But likewise, it's not someone else who can tell you whether this is the right thing for you. And so in a way, one does have to step on the path in order to figure out if it's correct. And if in a few months you recognize it's not the correct path, easy enough to stop That said, you know, I've worked with thousands of people now and pretty, I mean, the majority of people that I worked with are just deeply grateful and are living their authentic lives. And it's been an extraordinary honor to be in the position I've been in to support people to do this. It's absolutely so beautiful for me, I would say there're also a handful of people who don't have the, did not have the support they needed in their either their personal lives or their professional lives and felt that they couldn't continue because it was just too hard mm-hmm. this is hard hard
0: path yeah. Uh, uh, given yeah. our society I was talking to a counselor who's working with a trans person and you know she told me that this person said she didn't say the name or anything but you know if I could not be trans that would be good it wouldn't be so hard it's not something pe- this is the big mythology I think the big piece of disinformation People are just randomly choosing, or right. parents are somehow influencing right. their kids. And I think, well, what parent even wants to deal with going to more doctors and more appointments, <laughs> you know, at all?
4: Not me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but also, uh, many parents think they're protecting and
3: helping their kids by not letting their kids go on this journey, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want you to have a hard life, so let's not go this way. But that's not, that is not. That's not helping item. them. Yeah. And it's I a really want to point people. Yeah. It, yeah, So the Family Acceptance Project um, with Caitlin Ryan based at um, USF and then Gender Spectrum are fantastic resources for parents and for youth and for people to begin to explore and get more information. Okay.
0: And let's talk about the surgery because this is something that I keep seeing on social media and popping up that what about these surgeries and you can't reverse those and kids, young kids shouldn't be getting surgeries. And they what aren't. And they're not. So let's talk about the numbers.
2: Adam, do you have numbers? Do you want to? Or what? I I don't have numbers so much as just experientially. I mean, I, I appreciate parental concern always. But... As Jen was just saying a moment ago, young children are not having surgery. Young children don't need surgery. Puberty blockers are extremely effective at doing a lot of what I think is the best win-win for trans-identified, trans and non-binary-identified youth which is it buys you time until you get older to go down the path, figure out if what feels misaligned inside starts to feel aligned when you experience outwardly and inwardly yourself as the gender that in your head makes sense. And it gives you time to experience that before your body would ever even need to go through surgery. Puberty blockers are such a blessing. And let me tell you, I cannot tell you strongly enough. As somebody who now that I've transitioned, that I get to walk through the world as a trans non-binary trans man in the world had i had the ability to do this when i was younger the good that i bring to the world outside of my gender identity in the work that i do and the volunteerism that i do i would have been able to do that so much sooner and i it's my way of reminding people i'm a gift to the world that could have been the gift That was giving 20 years earlier than Mm -hmm. I started giving. But I had to spend so much time dealing with all of these demons because society beat me up intentionally and otherwise around my sexual and gender identities. When we don't do that to youth and we let them be who they are, they get to achieve that in the timeline that folks who don't struggle with this get to
0: don't we all deserve that yeah let's go to joy just if you could sort of briefly because we have so much to cover uh, in the next 15 minutes um how it's been for you to be a mother and i mean it's it, i can see that you're very open because you yourself consider yourself to be queer and non-bi- non-binary um how has it been for your kids and your family to go through this experience in with this kind of openness
4: yeah well it's been different for each kid my older kid has had a much harder time, um, and I think experienced more pushback from some family members um, who had a really hard time accepting it, especially a uh, name change.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, that was very difficult for some people that, that my child wanted to change their given name, because of course, you know for the, the parents, it's you, know, a, a carefully chosen gift. Um my child chose an amazing name for themselves, and we are still in the process of of um, uh, transforming the court order into actual documents that can be used. And I tell you it is hard. Yeah, I mean, every system is set up, the education system, the medical system, they are s- anything that's institutional and has a database attached to it misgenders. My child, and has done so for years, and that is very hard for my child and it's hard for me as a parent to to see that and to not be able to fix it for them. you know, I want to be able to fix it for my kid mm-hmm. and go in and fight for that change, and there's only so much you can do with a health insurance company mm-hmm. or a doctor's office um, that, that you know that that's the one that you get to use so it is, it is challenging yeah. to navigate that system with my kid.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about the community for a moment because we're looking at, what, 450 pieces of anti-LGBTQIA, uh, pieces of legislation across uh, several states in the United States, maybe 20 now, different states. And what really has impacted me is I'm on TikTok. I know people think that's funny. To me, it's actually a place where I see people, trans people on video, crying and freaked out because they feel unsafe in mm-hmm. their state as a human being just trying to live. And that, to me, is unacceptable. So when I see that we have groups in Santa Cruz whose websites, and I'm just going to name it right now, Brave and Free, whose websites link to anti-trans videos, and, uh, you know, it's sometimes you have to click a few times to get yeah. to where they're really getting into this um, – So, Joy, you actually wrote a piece for Bratton Online about the group Brave and Free. We have another person, a a parent at New Brighton Middle School, who's trying to, uh, attempting to get rid of the LGBTQ flags that are hanging in classrooms Mm -hmm. and replace them with American flags. We've had hate crimes at my church, which also serves as a synagogue. And my kids have
4: experienced homophobia and transphobia in yeah. school and on the streets. I mean, some of it is microaggressions and and some of it is institutional and you get everything in between. Yeah. yeah. And I
0: want to actually you know? I know that, Joy, you've called this out and you've gotten actually a lot of of. of so I got of, some pushback. You got pushback. Your your people are like condemning your your campaign for city council, which is absurd well, and ridiculous. Just a couple, <laughs> a it's couple okay. people, a couple people. But I also want to go to maybe because mm-hmm. maybe I can't see you. Sometimes I forget the people I can't see. But <laughs> I think one thing that a lot of us have been thinking about is what do we do with people who are all of a sudden popping up in our community you know you're dealing with proud boys at at school board meetings you've got chino over there you've got glendale you which these this Mm -hmm. is la for Pete's sakes you know i mean people are out and proud in la so what how do we what do you should we confront and counter and call out My answer has been to do this radio show so that people could maybe try to, you know, actually change their minds and learn something about non-binary people. But maybe what do you recommend? Because you're you're running for office, you're running for Congress. These issues are going to be front and center for you. What do you recommend?
1: Yeah. So I think, first of all, you know, um, folks who are allies of the LGBTQIA community, this is your time to stand up and speak up for us um, we don't have any time to lose right now. Uh, it's it's terrifying, and I think you know uh, when things go really really bad. I think folks often will ask, well, how did we get to this point? And the thing is, this isn't happening overnight. This is very strategically incremental. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to these these laws that are anti-LGBTQIA. Of which more than half are specifically anti trans, and so you know the argument started off as um, you know something as benign or seemingly benign as um, sports bills, and so you know um, you know it's it 's protect girls and protect women 's sports, and then it 's morphed into uh okay well you know we actually we don't want gender-affirming health care for youth and now what we're starting to see in states is actually legislation that would prevent adults from receiving gender-affirming healthcare. that's right it's this incrementalism that's right that it's really terrifying and so it doesn't happen overnight for me what is really scary is the fact that you know again we've had about a half a thousand anti-lgbtqia bills In 2023 alone, you know, I've been running for Congress since 2019, and every single year, I find myself saying this is the worst year in modern history for anti-LGBTQIA legislation. Uh, And the same goes for 2023. What I am uh, astounded by, what I'm most insulted by, is the fact that the vast majority, if not all of these bills, are being introduced by legislators who are cisgender and probably heterosexual. And so you have all of these you know, cisgender people trying to create legislation for how LGBTQIA people, specifically trans people, can exist and where. And so this is happening at the state level. We're also seeing it on the federal level. And yet there, is no, there are no trans people at the table. And as a good friend of mine always says, if you're not at the table, you're- Oops. The menu. So I think a big thing. If you're that, not at the table, we, wait. We, we
0: lost you. You're on the menu. Gotcha. We lost you exactly. for a second. If you're
1: not at the table, you're on the menu, and LGBTQIA people are on the menu right yeah,
0: now. I know, and we're and chuckling, so, but it's pretty serious. Well, we're delicious, yep. so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> We have to have some humor. It's true. Thank you. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is actually Labor Day. I had this whole thing where I was going to read out some of the great union victories that have been happening. Uh, and interestingly, there was a Tom Hartman show I was hearing, and I just wanted to note that there were there are 6% of the private sector is currently unionized um, and Pre Reagan, It was 25%. And I'll tell you what I think is happening. You guys let me know what you think. Anyone can jump in here. I think this is a distraction. This is going after the most marginalized people who are the least understood so that you can get a bandwagon going and get everyone upset about something that they have no reason to get upset about in order to distract everyone from the fact that we have these huge multinational corporations who are just – gobbling up the world and our resources and creating this, you know, the world on fire that we're seeing now, and rather than deal with that in a rational way together, we're Mm -hmm. seeing on the left and the right, we're seeing leftists in our community going down this rabbit hole. Joy, go ahead. I think we
4: see one of these sort of bizarre conflations in the wellness industry and... Spirituality. Spirituality, but also um, like... Clean eating and and reducing toxicities, which yes. I'm, which I am an eco-socialist, so right, we believe yeah. we believe
0: in those things, yeah. But I,
4: this idea that toxins that we know are endo endocrine disruptors are, I mean, that's bad in our environment, right? And nobody wants that. Well, very few people want that, but um, the plastics industry wants that, but the idea has been taken on by a lot of people who are, who are concerned with health and wellness that these endocrine disruptors are part of what is causing people to be trans oh or non-binary. Oh. Um, and I think that is a great example of misinformation, disinformation, confusion, and sowing discord amongst people who would otherwise be working together for um, people over profits and working class power and public ownership. The
2: irony in that, though, too, and I think even if somebody wanted to try to come up with data to prove that my existence, my identity right now is tied to that, to that I would say, sure. So what? Exactly. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I don't mind it. (laughs) I'm good with me. Yeah, all yeah. of that. And, you know, the other thing that I think is very poignant, I want to quickly point out, on Labor Day, so much of the advancements in LGBTQ recent history is through the partnership our community has with the labor Absolutely. community. Absolutely. I mean, what we did in um, the 1990s, around or in the 1980s, around some of the legislation and ballot initiatives that were coming out, Um It was Harvey Milk and his connection to the labor community really helped move us forward so that what was that legislation to, or a ballot initiative to prevent um, LGBTQ teachers from teaching in the state of California? Oh my. Which we defeated. Yeah. In large part because of our connection with labor. So and we. That yeah. is so important.
0: We have, a, we have a lot of work to do. We are getting to the top of the hour, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to start to say goodbye to you all, no. wonderful people. I know we were kind of just getting started, <laughs> it felt like, but November 20th is Trans Resiliency Day. We are going to do another show because it's a Monday, and it's one of our Mondays. Yay. So we are going to have people back, whoever can make I think it. think the Day of Trans Remembrance. Oh, is it Remembrance? So. Oh, gosh, I'm so perhaps sorry. Perhaps
2: resiliency is a new, oh, so. a new, a new take on it. Yeah. yeah, but I like it. Okay. Remembrance and resiliency, there we go. perhaps. Yeah. Okay,
0: <laughs> November 20th. So we, we this is such an important topic, folks, and I encourage you to keep learning Uh, On the show notes, when we get our new show page up for Moment of Truth with Amy Chen Mills, we are going to have all kinds of links and resources for you to learn more. That's what we need to do right now is rather than judge, we need to learn more. And um, I do have some thank yous for the show. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, and here's actually some good news from Erin in the Morning, uh, who's on Substack, and you should read her stuff. Erin, yes. E-R-I-N, in the Morning. Erin in the Morning. Amazing. Yeah, and yeah. she was citing surveys that uh, of registered voters between August 17th and August 21st ask about education policy. This is so far down the list of what people actually really care about. So there's starting to be some backlash from parents and voters about why are we talking about this? We need to talk about better education, better funding for public schools. Um, And with that, I have to go to our Uh, End notes here. You've been listening to uh, Moment of Truth, and we give many, many thanks to our team, Nyanko Nyasu, sound and tech engineer, and our research and production team, Meiling Obinada, Obanada, Todd Zimmerman, and Vara Ramakrishnan. Todd Zimmerman created the theme song. Kathy Krizik created our logo. Thanks to our KSQD program manager, Howard Feldstein, and the entire KSQ team on the California Central Coast where the show originates. Thank you for tuning in to Moment of Truth. And remember, if we don't use our democracy, we lose our democracy. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. Amy. Thank you. Thanks Thanks you Thank you all. you. I hope you'll come Amy. back. Thank you, Maybe. Maybe for Congress. Yes. M A B E a girl for M-A- congress
1: m-a-e-b-e m-a-e-b-e m-a-e-b-e
0: for con- maybe a girl for congress.com <laughs> yes. we got it or dot .org go I'm find go on. find her
1: thank you everyone i'll be back in november now. okay
0: thank you, thank you.